how you doing? It's uh, Sean Grigsby here. It's Cosmic Dragon episode 16. Uh, I never understood the phrase sweet 16 because when I was 16 years old, I was a real asshole. Not really. Anyway, we're going to be talking with James Wallonick about his Scribes Cycle books. But while I have you here, I want to talk to you about my stuff, what I got going on. Uh, Smoke Eaters is out, of course. And uh, Daughters of Forgotten Light is out. They are unrelated. But let me tell you that Ash Kickers, the sequel to Smoke Eaters, is coming out June 4th. That's this summer. And it's pretty awesome. There's going to be a phoenix in this one. Lots more dragons. Uh, Wraiths are going to be in it, definitely. And, of course, the Smoke Eaters. But it's all about fighting the phoenix. And I just finished editing Robots Don't Cry, which is unsold at the moment. And I just sent it to my agent. He's going to get that back to me. And uh, I also just started The Call of the Void, which is a revenge fantasy space western space fantasy car exploitation thing. Basically, imagine Unforgiven meets Little Shop of Horrors, except Audrey 2 is 16 cylinders of hell. Yes, it's about a car that eats people. Anyway, let's get into our interview with James Wallonick. Kick it! All right, and uh, yeah, Sweet sweet 16, uh, Cosmic Dragon episode, and we are here with James Wallonick. And uh, what's going on, man? Thanks for coming on. Hey there. It's good to be here. Uh, let's see, what, what happened? I just got in the door. Uh, it is a cool 7.30 p.m. here in Latvia. Uh, just got done with teaching and everything for the day, so, you know, happy to have the couch very good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all all the way from Latvia. La- is it Latvia? Yes. Yeah, okay. I, I hate mispronouncing countries, especially because it's ones where uh, you don't hear about too much. So how did you no, end you up? No, you got it. Cool. How did you end up in Latvia? Uh, how did I end up here? Well, it's a good question. Um, basically, the way that it happened was uh, I had taught in a few countries before. So I, I got this TEFL certificate, uh, teaching English as a foreign language. Uh, I earned that in the Czech Republic in 2016 uh, and I worked in the Czech Republic for a little while and then I worked for a while in Taiwan uh, came back to the States for about two weeks and uh, got a new job offer for an international school uh, in Riga so that's how I ended up there uh, I'm originally from Boston so uh, there's no accent there hopefully not like the departed or something no uh, but, no <laughs> no I mean <laughs> but, <laughs> you may yeah. bust out with the, that you know that's wicked smart or you know something like that or uh, super cool super, super cool, cool kid <laughs> you know hey yeah it might come out you never know I'll, I'll try to I, I won't comment on it because uh, Nicholas Eames was on and his Canadian came out and oh, okay. I didn't say anything about <laughs> I, I didn't say anything about it uh, to him <laughs> Sorry, very sorry yeah, about that. Uh, sorry. Yeah. God, I, I remember rewatching Goosebumps recently, and mm-hmm. I realized that it was all shot in Canada because all the characters were like, "I'm sorry." I'm like, "Okay, what the hell? Why did I not oh, know this as a so kid? Yeah. I didn't know this was Canadian." Uh, Would never have watched it. No, I mean, I'm not saying that, but it was. I love Canada. Weird. Man. I love Canada too. I, I did some crazy stuff to uh, to Canada and. My uh, first uh, debut novel, Smoke Eaters. Okay. Um, anyway, we're getting way off subject, talking about uh, c- uh, countries and languages and, and, and 
<laughs> so you ended up in Latvia and you're teaching English. It, funny story, my mom taught English in Japan. Okay. Yeah. Hey. Yeah. Gotcha. But uh, she only had her GED. And to this day, she misspells many things. So <laughs> I don't know if she was really like, I wonder how she got that job. So uh, do you have to know the languages or at least have a mild understanding of the uh, native languages in the countries you teach English? Well, well, thank God you don't. Um, <laughs> actually, uh, I, I have a very loose understanding of most of the languages of where I go, but it's only because I picked them up on the ground. So, you know, as far as like foreknowledge of the language, no. Uh, what you mostly have to have is just um, uh, entirely uh, too much courage in yourself <laughs> to try to go out there and do it because you usually get to the country and you find out that you're weighing over your head and you have no idea what you're doing and you don't know how, where to get a phone card or you don't know where to, you know, buy your first meal and you just kind of figure it out from there. And I think that uh, anybody who you know, is familiar with uh, going on kind of uh, expeditions or, or hiking trips will understand that there's this certain thrill in the unknown and just really being out of your league for a little while. Uh, so that's that's kind of my answer to it. You don't need to know the language. You just have to know how to survive. <laughs> and it's a slow process. It's an adventure. So, they call that an adventure. It's an adventure. That's awesome. Yes. Um, so that's good because a lot of people I know who teach English abroad, they I'm like, you don't know how to speak. Japanese or German? Right. I think is it is it kind of the thing where in other countries they teach English since that's like the language of business uh, in today's day and age. So you're just mm. there to kind of take them to the next level. So you don't really have to start from scratch and you know like Harold Ramis and Stripes. Right, exactly. Um, it really depends uh, because at the moment uh, the school that I teach in uh, last year I was a grade five teacher. And, you know, the, the kids are mostly Russian. Um, they mostly come from uh, wealthy Russian families that, that have settled in Latvia. Um, and so you're dealing with um, a much different demographic from country to country. Uh, in Taiwan, the kids had a pretty good foundation of English. In the Czech Republic, people come from all over. They're either businessmen or they're just learning their first word. Uh, here we have a, a full range. Uh, it's, it's kids that have never... Uh, watched an English, you know, cartoon before, and we've got kids that have gone to other international schools, so they've been speaking English their whole life. So you really have to read the crowd and uh, figure things out from there, uh, which is the adventure, I guess. <laughs> may I suggest Ren and Stippy for their first English American cartoon? Let's do it. <laughs> no, please don't. That'll just ruin the world. <laughs> Maybe like those little combat ones from the '90s, like the this the super low budget ones i don't know why it just reminds me of childhood you know like uh yeah uh rocco's modern life and oh yeah doug okay. dog courage Can we do that yeah courage yeah yeah, yeah. that see courage <laughs> came about like when i was like 12 13 or 14 i think i know i watched it because that's just me but uh <laughs> that's just me yeah <laughs> well okay but so you're in latvia you you write books how did you get started in publishing and writing and how did your process go in, in getting your agent I, I Lindsay is your agent's name well okay it's it's a funny story uh, I'll try to make it short for brevity's sake but essentially uh, I've been writing f for most of my life uh, I started when I was probably 
12, 12 or 11 years old, somewhere in that range, um, actually writing them on the computer. Before that, I just went to my parents and I told them stories <laughs> out loud. And I said, I said, you have to listen to me. <laughs> like, this is an important story. Right. So they, uh, they, they got so fed up that they said, listen, just use our computer and type them. And then we'll read them later. And I said, all right. So, you know, to a kid that's obviously like, oh, they want to read my stories. But, you know, in retrospect, it's sort of like, get out of here, you know, do, do something right. else. So I, uh, I started writing stories there and I wrote these really derivative, just terrible fantasy books um, based on like, you know, Aragon meets Lord of the Rings and just you know, every kid's kind of fantasy idea. And, um, you know, it was just a very interesting process. And, and I think I even submitted to an agent or two uh, the draft of one of the stories. And, uh, you know, to this day, I just, I, I pray that I never find those emails again, because I don't know what I even wrote in them. Um, but when I was about uh, 16, 17, I'd been writing a few drafts for a few years. And um, I started this draft that I took with me through university. And uh, in university, I worked with uh, Andre Dubus III, uh, Dubus, you know, whatever you want to pronounce his name as, but uh, the guy who wrote House of Sand and Fog, which is a huge novel, you know, and uh, yeah, Ben Kingsley movie, everything. He's a super humble, down-to-earth guy, extremely nice. And uh, I kind of had the honor of being the only genre writer in the entire damn class. So he sat with me for four years from when I was a, a freshman all the way to graduating. And I had, he, you know, every year I had a, a course with him and we did workshops on different drafts. And uh, around that time when I was in his class, I got my first novel published, which was Grid, uh, post-apocalyptic sort of uh, fair. I got that published without an agent. Um, but then uh, I, I started workshopping a draft with him that was fantasy. And he said, you know, James, he said, this is the only uh, fantasy draft that's ever actually made me feel something. And that was huge praise from him, you know, to hear that from this guy who obviously has his share of drafts coming across his desk. And um, he said, you know, you kind of brought literary into fantasy. And I think ever since then, that's been my fixation is really, you know, telling these these very character driven, uh, not even character driven, I'd say just character invested uh, stories with with a lot of honesty to them. So getting into the nitty gritty details of things that most fantasy authors uh, authors skip over when they're writing. So, you know, how does it feel to have your legs all chewed up when you're riding on a horse? How does it feel to, you know, to, to have to put out the embers of a fire and kind of burn your hands? You know, it, like these small things that I think we skip over in favor of dragons and scale armor and you know, other cool stuff. Uh, he really said, listen, press on with that. So I, uh, I, I did. I developed the draft uh, over a few years. Um, there was a huge hiatus in the middle, so it wasn't like it was a, you know, a few years to write it. It was just about a year total for the draft, uh, and I submitted it way too early <laughs> to a bunch of agents. And so, um, the draft that most agents got was actually the draft that uh, I did not uh, end up publishing. Uh, the first chapter was radically changed, um, but I, I did get Lindsay from uh, Emerald City Literary Agency, and uh, she was wonderful, um, super committed through the whole process. She's actually getting into freelance editing, if I'm correct now. Uh, but the reason I say, you know, it, it's an interesting story in the past tense is really that uh, she recently stepped down from agenting because she decided to go back to school and to get into the the uh, editing part more than the agenting part. And uh, I'm super grateful, though, for the fact that she really got my trilogy out there. You know, without her, it wouldn't have happened. Um, and so, you know, whether or not she's a current agent now, I think she gave me that confidence to know that um, at least somebody <laughs> likes my work enough to kind of put their time into it. And that was invaluable to right. the whole process. So are mm-hmm. you still with Emerald City or did you go somewhere else? Or are you unaided, unagented at the moment? 
at the moment i'm a free agent any agents out there you can hit my digits no but <laughs> seriously <laughs> uh i'm a free agent right now uh because basically uh the people who are still at emerald city uh mostly handle other genres so they do ya fantasy they do i knew YA they did fantasy. a lot of ya yeah Right. And I'm just, you know, to be honest, that's just not my, my thing. I've tried before to do YA and I find that, you know, within seconds, you've just got the dismemberment coming out. You've got. The, the yeah. Yeah. I can't. Yeah. I drop too many F bombs and have too much right. gore and violence to, but then again, you know, people would argue it's like, well, why YA can still have all that stuff. They're just uh, younger characters. And I don't know. People who write YA yeah. get, have a better sense of it than probably I would. Um, so I just right. let, them, let them have it. You know, right. There's a lot of uh, a lot of uh, very personable people. They write YA, and uh, I'm sort of I think a bit too cynical for YA. I really think that, and it's funny because I'm closer in age to a lot of authors that do YA. Uh, I'm 25, you know, and I'm not I'm not out of the, the the kind of adolescent game yet. I feel like I still have a lot of those those qualities in myself, um, but I'm just too cynical. You know, I, I look at the news, I look at what's going on. And a lot of the time, uh, I'm not even talking about elections or political things. I'm talking about, you know, uh, drone strikes. I'm talking about famine, these terrible things that are happening. And I just think to myself, sure, there's versions of that in YA. And yet at the same time, it's a whitewashed version because you can't show every detail of what it's like in real life or it wouldn't be YA. You know, you, you kind of get out of that bracket. So when you've got the really brutal graphic descriptions of what happens to people during, during a, a genocide, you know, that's just not YA you'd have to trim it down. Um, Which I think, I mean, it could be, but uh, parents would lose their shit and, (laughs) and like do what they did to Judas Priest back in the day. And, you know, and the old book banning thing. And we can't have our kids. What reading Oh God. You know, absolutely. It's human censorship. I don't think that it's, it's, it's even the the market. Uh, There's plenty of YA books that I've, I've read that I've loved. Uh, House of the Scorpion was brilliant. I don't know if you ever read it. Nancy Farmer, I think. Uh, about you know, a brilliant novel uh, about these kids who are grown as human uh, uh, organ containers to be harvested by by wealthy people, and it was you know at least fifteen years ago I think it was published maybe maybe twelve, but uh, that that book really inspired me as a kid, and I think that YA is a, an incredibly valuable genre. Uh, it's just that again you know there's certain things about YA that in this day and age uh, are are taboo. Uh, to, to, to readers, uh, to, to the readers' parents, or to to the the councils that decide which books are good and bad, right? So so that's kind of the thing. As as you're hinting to, you know, th- there is uh, some invisible ceiling there, uh, not from the publishers, but from the general public that expects something different from YA than what you've given them. You know? Right. Mm. So you ended up at Kensington's new newest imprint. At least it's fairly new, and that is Rebel Base. So, how how are things going over there, and and what's it like dealing with Rebel Base, and why did you decide to go with them? Well, uh, things are good at Rebel Base, I would say. <laughs> I mean, I haven't been there, but <laughs> I'd imagine. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> it's <laughs> it's it's no, it's it's a cool place. Uh, they've got a, a really interesting lineup. the The first three that came out, I think there was a more kind of traditional fantasy um by i want to say by barb hendy that came out uh she's quite good uh there was a book called uh, synthetics or that's the series i believe that's uh, sci-fi oriented more of a, a um, cyberpunk which is cool yeah uh, cyberpunk has always been my my genre that i'm kind of too intimidated to try but i i love 
reading it and, and watching, you know, things with cyberpunk. Uh, but, and, and then we had my book and I just, you know, felt kind of like surprised. I'm just kind of, uh, not even in a way of thinking like that my book was something special, but in a way of more like, I was just surprised that somebody would take a risk on the book because it is a risky book. It's not, uh, I, I wouldn't describe this as, as a mass selling fantasy. This is not the kind of book that most people um, are going to share at their book club and say, you know, this is, this is the, the book, you know, it, it kept me up at night page turning, you know, I, as much as I want to hype my book up that way, it's not that kind of book. So I was super humbled and appreciative that, uh, that Kensington and, and Rebel Base and especially the editors at Rebel Base, really approachable people, uh, took on the project and took that risk. Now Rebel Base is a digital first publisher, Am I correct? Mm-hmm. Okay. And correct. so ha- have you gone to print yet or are you still in uh, digital right now? Uh, there, so basically the way that I understand it is that um, there are print-on-demand copies that Amazon processes or, or other kind of digital retailers. Uh, so you can buy a paperback and it will be printed bound. I'm looking at one right now. I, I swear to God, I didn't buy it. <laughs> it wasn't sent to me. My, <laughs> my fiance bought it because she's, you know, she's a good fiance and she, <laughs> she has obligations as, as the fiance of a writer. Right, right. So, so she's got the two books up on the shelf and they look very uh, prestigious and um, uh, they look good in paperback. You know, I really, I like how they, how they turned out, the dimensions and everything. But you're right that it is, uh, it's primarily digital. That is the, the main sales angle. And it's not, um, it's not something that I, I think is a, is a bad move in this day and age. You know, it's necessary uh, in, in a lot of ways. Well, you know, you got millions of people like my wife who reads nothing but Kindle. And uh, right. she's even convinced me, like, I, I've, I'm starting to move away from paper. Um, but because I, I love my yeah. Kindle and I and I spent so much money on it, so <laughs> I want to use it. But at the you same time, <laughs> right? At the same time, I love paperbacks. Um, yeah, not even hardback. I, paperbacks that just smell different to me. Uh, so yeah. your your book series with Kensington Rebel Base is called The Scribe Cycle, and so far there are three books lined up to come out. They are Scribes, Schisms. And the third one is Scions, and it's not out yet. When when will that be coming out? February of 2019. Okay, I'm correct. And the first two are already out. <laughs> yep. So why the scribe cycle? I have to ask because with science fiction and fantasy, you have all kinds of you know the so and so cycle or the so and so trilogy or, or mm. mythos or what? Why why did you decide cycle? Well, you know, the, the thing is, um, whenever I talk about kind of decisions of like naming or, or anything about titles or about whatever, I feel so damn pretentious. I mean, <laughs> I feel so damn pretentious because he, he, here's the thing, right? I look, at, I look at some authors who have these, these titles that are just so on the nose, like so good, so good. House of Sand and Fog. Oh, kill me. It's so good. It's so on the nose. Then, but not even like a, in a cliched way. I mean, it's on the nose as far as thematics go, and it really captures the feel. Um, I mean, I'm going to get nitty gritty, but also in a, in a way pretentious, I think, about the title. Uh, get as pretentious as you want, man. Go for it. <laughs> Well, I, you know, now I feel like it's, it's, you know, one of those things that's a laughing stock. Like, oh, uh, you know, let's, let's, let's really wind them up to get pretentious. Yeah. You know, the, the metaphysical now, um, <laughs> I'll, I'll stop there. So basically the title, uh, the title came about because the first, uh, when I first envisioned the book, it was actually a standalone and it was a big standalone. 
Um, and it was going to tell the tragic story of a single girl who went from being a well-intentioned person uh, and then kind of molded through the world to becoming this terrible tyrant and this dictator that was just, you know, you'd read her on the, on the, on the last page of the series and think that she's just the worst villain ever made. And that was sort of my, my overarching idea for, for the book um, was to make it, you know, her journey and, and to see kind of as a, as a thought experiment, like could readers kind of follow that road with her and could they empathize along the way? Um, And ultimately, you know, as, as you know, now um, that's not how it turned out. It turned out as a trilogy. Um, But, you know, I also changed kind of the direction of the character. So I don't want to kind of spoil too much, but there's elements of that in there, but there's also elements of things that only arose because I started to think of the series as three uh, kind of episodes of, of the person's life. So things were changed around, but as far as the actual name comes uh scribes was kind of the working title that i had since the beginning because you know scribes are the people in the world uh, this fantasy world who can who can kind of bring magic uh into the world and so i stuck with scribes and i pitched the book as scribes uh i most people who, who know me can tell you that i don't really care about titles much like i don't put much thought into them maybe i should maybe my books would sell <laughs> twice as much but the way the way that i currently do it is just kind of um you know, I, I, I think of the word that has resonated the most with me through the writing of the book. And in this case, it was Scribes. Um, and so I put Scribes out. And then basically the editors at Rebel Base, you know, I had, I had kind of different thematic ideas for the next two books. And they said, what do you feel about doing the SC um, pattern, right? So Scribes, Schisms, Scions. I, I kind of tried to explain subtly that... <laughs> That they they all kind of have different pronunciations, but you know when it comes to printing, well, they had the first two look. letters, man. That's what counts. That's what they're going. That's for. right. It's the first two, and so we stuck with the first two. And um, I thought that cycle is such a cool word, uh, and also because I mean, here's the pretentious angle, I suppose. Um, the, the overarching uh, journey of the books is a cycle. Uh, it's not for for me. I don't believe that books really have such thing as a beginning and an ending. I think that. If you look at if you look at real life, right? Very few things have a neat beginning and a neat end. Life is a series of cycles that it goes through. You know, there's like periods of up, periods of down. There's periods of chaos and periods of order. As you know, above, so below. Life. Yeah, it's it, exactly. It's this huge ongoing cycle from everything from the seasons to the way that people uh, their cells regenerate. You know, it's all cycles. And uh, you know, admittedly, I didn't think too heavily on that word when I actually chose it, but. The more that we got into production of the book, and the more that we saw that word "cycle," the more that it really resonated with me, and I and I liked it. I started to like how it was presented. So, what's the uh, scribe cycle about? That's a good question. <laughs> Everybody, I, <laughs> I hope you know. Pictures, and I go, I go, damn, they're on to me now. Um, so, well, scribe cycle, uh, in essence, is about a world uh, that is horribly broken. It's gone through this brutal civil war. Um, and you've got these very few women in the world, uh, girls and women, who are able to look at a person, and where you and I would see skin, just flesh, um, they actually see kind of like a, um, a luminescent camouflage pattern under the skin. Cool. And this pattern uh, is unique to every person, like a snowflake. And so what these, these scribes are able to do, these women, uh, is take a blade or any kind of sharp instrument, and they can trace that pattern onto their skin, uh, the person's skin. And the more accurately they carve that pattern to make to make the scar, the longer they have invulnerability. So 
The people don't need to breathe, don't need to eat, don't need to sleep. You've made kind of super soldiers. Um, and, and most women can carve it for a few hours. Uh, the main character of the, the cycle can do it indefinitely. So you've got these immortal <laughs> super soldiers walking around. Um, and basically, she's, she's coerced into helping a group of war criminals uh, that are trying to retake their homeland. And so she's kind of, you know, she's like 14 years old, 15. She's caught in this just terrible web of evil people uh, trying to use her for their own purposes. And much like in real life, you know, she's stuck wondering, well, who's the, who's the good guy? Who am I supposed to be helping? Uh, who are these people? Why do they want me to help them? You know, there, there are all these questions that I think we struggle with uh, in everyday life um, about, about the systems of, of power and systems of control. You know, it's, it's brought down to a, to a microcosm. In, in this book. So that's the, in essence, the that's scribe the cycle. essence of the scribe cycle. Nice. Correct. So, I mean, it sounds more of like a page turner than you let on, uh, but would you say it's more of a, a, a slow burn, uh, literary kind of fantasy? That's a, it's a good question. Uh, the first, the first book I would say has a slower pace than the other two, uh, because it is about a lot of her journey growing up. Um, and I think that if you read it through the lens of a young girl growing up, then I think you're more forgiving of the slower pace. Um, uh, people have told me that toward you know toward the second half of the book it does pick up when she actually gets really involved in everything going on. But I think up until that point there is a sense of kind of melancholy and a sense of um, a sense of unease and a sense of just things wrong, really things really wrong with the world uh, that I that I was going for. And I want people to feel a bit uncomfortable reading a lot of the first half. Um, but the other two books, I think, uh, maybe do get a bit closer to the page Turner status when you've got wars going on, you've got assassinations and, and espionage and all that other stuff that people uh, really clamor for <laughs> in the kind of page Turner market. I got um, you. And everybody's yeah. different. I mean, which you've probably already realized it, some people, like I've always thought, you know, people were like me, they like a fast pace and let, you know, no boring parts cut all, you know, let's get to it. Uh, some people really like that slow pace <laughs> and they get mad when things move too fast and i do i don't personally understand that but that's just me and then i kind of learned that uh people have different tastes and different stuff and 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 definitely the pacing which i thought was more of a universal thing right slow is okay sometimes yeah yeah <laughs> especially right. you know some people do, they just want to sit down with a book my wife's like this the bigger the better and i'm not that way <laughs> i can't read anything yeah. over 500 pages or i start i start to get boring it starts to get boring for me. Um, you want conclusion? I want I want stuff wrapped up. I'm cool with the book two, but I'll wait. <laughs> I'll wait for book two. Let's wrap this one up right now, and then right. I can go get a sandwich and then move on to book two or something. <laughs> you uh, can't take a break when you're reading. It's it's against the law. Right. Yeah. Marathon, <laughs> baby. Marathon. Let's do this. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, people can binge Netflix. No, I, re- I maybe read like 10% of a book a day. Uh, cause I got to write my own too. Uh, so what is your writing process like? Uh, a lot of crying. <laughs> no, it's well, seriously, yeah, uh, I mean, it's, yeah. uh, everybody, uh, no, my writing process, um, I would say in general that I try to get 500 words a day down on paper. Um, for some people that's quite little for some people that's, that's very impressive. Um, I, I've met very few people who think that's impressive, but you know, the thing that I really <laughs> loathe and this, this makes me unpopular, I think. Um, I think there's a reason why I'm not one of those like super inspirational Twitter writers that everybody just loves to retweet. It's because, you know, I, I will write stuff that I think is true that people don't like to hear sometimes. And one of those is 
that I think people should write every day. I think that people who say to themselves, I write when I feel like it, you know, you're going to be dust and bones when that book comes out because, you know, most writers, I'm, I'm sure you can probably empathize here when you've got a family, you've got work, you've got stuff to do. You know, when you're a kid, writing is great. You know, writing is like all you want to do maybe. But when you get a bit older, you know, there's intrusions and you need, you really need to mentally prioritize writing and make that a focus uh, and get those words down no matter what. Because even if the words are complete uh, garbage, they're j- just, just shit in every form <laughs> that you can possibly think of, um, there's something salvageable there. You know, that's still you trying to produce something that you think is relevant to the story. And if people trust their instincts more often, especially when they, they write the stuff that they think is just worth throwing out, you know, people would, people would have those novels done, uh, quite frankly. I think it's people that delete their own work, people that don't trust in their own work, that, that don't end up putting out that book. Um, and so, I mean, that's part of the process. The other part that I'm currently in now, which, which sucks, by the way, <laughs> is when you finish a series, you finish something that you've poured your, your, all your attention into. Because I ruminate about the story all day. I'm sure, you know, most writers do. You probably do. Oh, you're yeah. thinking about things about the story all day. You know, you're shopping thinking about it, which is bad for me because I like to meditate. And I'm meditating thinking about the story, which is not good. But anyway, so <laughs> um, you know, basically, though, I have this process where I just really let the story kind of come to me. And I sit and I just... You know, I'll sit there with a notebook sometimes, just watching Netflix, listening to music, and something will just pop into my head, and I'll just write it down. And I and I figure that when I've got a kind of an avalanche of a feeling for the story and a feeling for the setting and a feeling for all these these various elements that come together, then I can start actually putting it down as prose. And it can take months, it can take three days, but that's that's the sucky part. Is waiting for your brain to cooperate, <laughs> just give you something, you know? Right. <laughs> it's yeah. interesting to ask different people that question because it's everybody gives a different answer um and uh i, I would agree with you i i try to write every day sometimes no, it just happens you're gonna miss days you're but you know you're gonna miss them i think it's more about and i think this is what you meant is that it's about trying to keep that momentum up not 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 writing just because it's like oh i'll get it later i mean yeah that's just that's lazy that's and procrastinating it's like well i mean that that's totally up to you but um other <laughs> you're not if you never get it done you're never going to sell it um that's right absolutely you almost have to become obsessive about it at least i i found for myself yeah, I'm sure, you know, you look at Hemingway or you look at some of these these great writers and you think to yourself, you know, some people think, oh, it's a shame that they really, you know, went so hard with the drugs and alcohol and they destroyed themselves. And you think from the other side of things, well, you know, let's, let's draw it back and think maybe it's not the substances that did it. Maybe it's this obsessive need to create, you know, and, and I don't think that everybody can, can really handle it. I think that it, it can be very mentally tough on people. Um, and you know, there's a reason why there's that, that trope about writers turning to all these, these different substances, because you're right, you do get obsessive and the stories in a way take precedence over a lot of your, your real life thinking. J.D. Salinger Uh, is a perfect example. That guy went off the deep end and he just went the deep end. He, he just wanted to be with his characters and sit in a little tiny house in the middle of nowhere in New York or wherever he was and just write his stories and never sell them <laughs> yeah he was creating right. his own world um <laughs> it's if you haven't seen a jade that i forget what it's called but there's a jd salinger documentary and i watched it and uh you gotta watch it now good grief like that dude i mean the catcher in new york maybe 
it was weird. and then he was like he was kind of like a uh he was into like 19 year old girls that was his thing like even as an, oh, okay. an old man and he he just like ruined these women uh just by like seducing them and then casting them out and moving it just just dude was nuts was um, it only 19 or is that like just a well general- i mean you know young <laughs> around that age i mean they, they were definitely okay. consenting adults but at the same time, he he seemed like a real manipulative dude. <laughs> I mean, look at what Charles Bukowski, who is potentially the I've seen the, that documentary too. Oh man, that dude's a piece <laughs> of work himself. Good grief! There's a part where he kicks the woman off the couch, where he just you know just shoves her with yeah, his foot. Yeah, yeah, I saw that thinking, on YouTube. Oh, Charmer, <laughs> just drunk and stuff, and it's like. You, by the way, people listening, you don't have to do this. Although I do like Hunter S. Thompson's saying that he doesn't necessarily recommend drugs and alcohol, but it certainly helped him. Uh, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> so let's wrap things up. And uh, I asked this of all my guests. What is something okay. that you know now that you wish you could told yourself when you first started? Oh, I thought you were going to ask me some, something that I knew now that I wish I didn't know. <laughs> well, that too, man. Hey, I'll, I'll ask that first. What, what's something you uh, wish you knew now that you didn't? Oh, let's see. Um, when I found out that ducks had uh, uh, screw-shaped penises, it really just ruined everything for me. You just ruined my life. Several- I didn't know that. Don't Google image it. But everybody who, well, who hears this is going to go Google image it now. I've I've created a pandemic of information. I don't uh, even have to <laughs> Google it. I can see it in my head, and I don't want to. Good grief. It's, it's worse than you think, actually. Um, oh, and I just saw that Detective Pikachu trailer and Psyduck's on there. Oh, man. Oh, um okay the this second one what was it it was noon go ahead <laughs> something it was something that i i knew now that i wish i could tell myself yes is that it? something or something that you basically what you want to tell youngish uh uh just breaking into the game uh just getting into yep. writing uh what do you want to what kind of advice you want to give to them probably read more uh being honest i mean i uh, to be honest like right nowadays uh i i read so little that it, it, it boggles my mind that i can actually write books um i i i think i read on average i want to say five books a year and that's on a good year like it's really bad it's really really bad uh most of my intake is is cinematic you know so it's it's watching films uh and it's <laughs> i love films so much and i should read more books i really should but damn it you know, I'm just, it's a bad habit that I picked up. Got to go back in that time machine and correct it. Well, so. I'll tell you this, and you probably have found this yourself, is that I've gotten so much pickier in my reading choices since yes. becoming a professional author and definitely a published author. It's I don't have time for bullshit. I get into maybe page 50 on a lot of stuff, if that, and if I'm not feeling it, if I'm not interested, or the main thing is do I care? Uh, what happens and if i don't sorry boof i got you know there's too many books uh, coming out and out there that i haven't even read uh but talking about the movie stuff man all of my books are freaking inspired by uh movies uh smoke eaters is like reign of fire and backdraft and hell even oh, uh, getting me now <laughs> you're hooking me now yeah a little blade runner in there um oh. Blade Runner, you got me with the Blade Runner. Daughters reference. of Forgotten Light is Escape from New York and Tron and Sons of Anarchy and 
Yeah, you sold me. Yeah, that's my thing, man. I I write. Look, (laughs) I've I found that I write pulp, and even when and daughters is some of my most what I have what I thought was my most literary work. Right. And people are like, this is awesome pulp. I'm like, shit, I guess I'm just pulpy. I'll just stick to it. You know, I thought it was serious to shoot laser balls at people, but I guess I was wrong. Uh, Depends from where, I suppose. <laughs> well, it's from a gun on their forearm, James. Yeah, that's better. What the hell? It's very literary. <laughs> yeah. If they shot it's it out of their asses, a- you know, that'd be, that'd be uh, yeah, that'd definitely be pulp. I'm a defender uh, like of pulp, so- man. Well, I mean, Pulp's great. Tales, Tales from the Crypt. I mean, if you counted this Pulp. I love uh, pulp, Tales from the Crypt. Favorite series of all time right there. Yeah, it's wonderful. So, you know, I think you got it. I think if you can pull off the Pulp, I'm I'm jealous, actually. It's a forgotten talent, you know? I I know. Not many people are doing it. I don't know why. Because I, I love to read the kind of stuff I wrote. I mean, I love literary stuff, too, if, uh, depending on how well it's done. Right. It's hard for me to find stuff that I, I that that reads like the stuff I write because I I love that. I mean that's that's why I write it. But it's so hard nowadays, and you have to like go back to old older uh, stories, especially short stories. The short stories are, were the most pulpy. The novels tended to find more of a literary feel to them for some reason. Right. Back so you got the, the, the chainsaw legs, those kind of books. Planet Terror. Yeah. Type yeah, stuff. The, yeah. Exactly. Damn right. Pulp. That is my <laughs> thing. Evil Dead. I think Evil Dead's my my yeah. top cinematic pulp adventure. Um, just great stuff. It's all good. Yeah. Everything. <laughs> so I'm you, impressed. You, you dig my stuff, I think. Uh, you should check it out. And I'll definitely check out your books, which is called The Scribe Cycle. There the, are book cycle. The, bo- <laughs> <laughs> the book cycle. The book cycle. Did yes. I say the book cycle? No, no, no! Oh, I'm, just, like, I'm just busting your balls. Okay, I thought it was like now I'm starting to think of Lance Armstrong and and freaking <laughs> bicycles. And, you know, you're over there in Latvia writing about uh, magical cyclists. Uh, <laughs> the, <laughs> the scribe cycle. So the first two books are out. They are scribes and schisms, and Scions is available for pre-order. Uh, is there any audiobooks on any of these currently for anybody who likes audiobooks? There are audiobooks. Uh, I actually have it downloaded on my phone. And I have yet to listen to it. <laughs> well, look, hey, from my perspective, I listened to a little bit to kind of get a sense of how they did. I'm like, okay, that's cool. I can't listen to the whole thing. For one, I wrote the right. damn thing, and, 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 and it feels weird listening to somebody else read your book. It's cool. It's awesome. It's, it's like the shit dreams are made of, but it just feels weird, doesn't it? It's weird. Yeah. It's it's not it, it doesn't feel like yours anymore. It feels like it's it's now it's now a thing <laughs> that has been you know put into this other form. Very strange. And especially very, when very they strange. say something that's just quite off of the pronunciation you had in your head for something. Oh, that's the worst. And you're like, that's not it. But you're not wrong either. You know, it's just ugh, right, it's weird. Right. So the world is now corrupted. With the, yeah, <laughs> with the but you know, <laughs> hey, that's the name yeah. of the game, and at least they paid you for it. So you know, it, all, it makes it all good. Sounds so, like a, being an escort, actually. <laughs> they say, oh God! I don't know how they do things over in Latvia, James. But well, <laughs> over here it's just in Vegas and Nevada, uh, where they actually elected a dead pimp recently. Uh, if you didn't know, America's gone wild since yeah. I've been out. Apparently, yeah. Okay. 
<laughs> anyway, hey man, thanks so much for coming on Cosmic Dragon. This was episode sweet sixteen. Uh, and check out James's books, and we'll see you next time. James, thanks, thanks for, for coming on, man. Pleasure. Pleasure.